Good morning. Like usual, it is a, uh, an honor and a pleasure to worship with you guys. Uh, I look forward to it, to it each week, and especially so this week. Ridge is out. He and Tracy are in Oregon, and I'm glad they're having that time. And I'm also glad that he's given us the opportunity to spend time with you guys in the Word in his absence. And so I am thankful for that opportunity. You know, last week, Ridge talked about how fathers leave tracks. And really, kind of what we got to was that leaders leave tracks. But what makes a leader? Today we're going to look at uh, the book of Hebrews and something I call middle child discipleship. I don't always call it that, but I did today, okay? Um, No, there's an idea, though. In psychology, I learned about it in different classes. Um, You've probably heard of it, how your birth order can affect who you become. Okay, maybe you saw it with your own kids. Maybe um, you experience it with yourself. Maybe you think it's all hogwash. Um, That's a possibility, too. You know, it's one of those things that it might reflect a little bit, but it's not always accurate. Um, But the truth of the matter is that the world we grow up in affects who we are. It affects who we become. And so the environment that I grow up in affects that. And one of those things is my birth order, where I fall in the family line. You know, uh, there's some stereotypes. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. The oldest is often a leader. They might be more mature, more responsible, a little less no-nonsense, usually successful. So I'm looking at some of y'all, and you're like, that's our family. And other people are like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. No, no, that's kind of a stereotype, though. And then babies are the family, right? Babies, they tend to be uh, spoiled. They kind of get what they want. They had it easier with mom and dad. Um, Everyone likes them, according to them. Okay? I'm a baby of the family. I can attest to that. And then there's middle children. Did I forget those? That was a joke. Sorry. Uh, no, the middle child, um, they were the baby of the family. And then mom and dad brought home another baby, and suddenly um, the fight for attention is on. Suddenly they have to find new creative ways to get mom and dad because there's a new baby at home um, that needs mom more than they do. The roles have changed. And so what does this have to do with discipleship? Um, the idea today is that when you're in the family... When you're in God's family, you have a place and you have a role. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. And um, before we flip there, though, I want to spend a moment in prayer with you guys. Father, thank you for uh, this morning and just the time uh, to worship together. As a, as a body to worship together um, with other believers, Lord. To spend time in your word. And I pray that um, today as we just look through Scripture for the next um, few moments, you'd help us to be present, to be, to be focused, and to be um, sensitive to your Spirit and what you're speaking. Or that we wouldn't um, slough this off, or if we're familiar with the passage, but um, God, we come to you with fresh eyes and a soft heart, Lord, that you would work today. I pray that as we go through, um, even this summer, a time of year that sometimes feels like um, a time of year where we coast, that, that wouldn't be our goal for our walks Spiritually, Lord, we want to continue to deepen our walk with you, Lord. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1. We're starting with verses 1 through 4. The writer of Hebrews, sorry, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who are a bit skeptical. They might be tempted to go back to their Jewish ways, and they're a little uncertain. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage them to stay in the fight. You know, we have a student camp coming up this week, and so 
Um, sometimes people talk about the spiritual camp high that students get when they come home. You know, you go to camp and um, you don't have certain friend groups weighing you down, or you don't have your phone in front of you all the time, or um, there's other people worshiping, and so that gets other students involved, and they come back and they are pumped up and they're on fire, and we love that. And then we see them kind of recede back a little bit because they're back with their, the choices they made here with certain peer groups. And so I imagine the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who are kind of like that. They've made this decision for the Lord. And they probably had an exciting moment, an exciting interaction. And now some time has passed. And they're kind of thinking, maybe we got it wrong. It doesn't feel like it did at first. So he's writing to encourage them. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's a lot to unpack there, and we're not going to dive into it, but here's the picture. Um, Right out of the gates, the writer's not leaving any room for doubt about who Jesus is. He's reassuring them, no, Jesus is who he said he was. He's encouraging them, stay the course because you're on the right track. And lastly, Jesus is superior to all things. I love the line that song was saying about how God has no rival and no equal. You know, sometimes things in our lives try to rival that, but in reality, they don't stand a chance. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is reminding them. I mean, verse 3 again says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. So if you have spent time around, if you have grown close to Jesus, then you are growing close to the exact expression of God's nature. You're not missing out. What encouragement for those people. I mean, for someone who's slipping in their faith maybe, or maybe having doubts, he's reassuring them, he's pointing these things out, saying, look, you grew up knowing about the prophets that God spoke through. You grew up knowing um, how God used to speak, and then Jesus comes and he changes the game. And now he's at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's no one greater. You're not mistaken here. You see, when mom brings home a new baby, the family changes. Some of y'all have experienced this. The first one, I'm sure, is special. They're all special. But the second one comes and changes, and it changes the dynamics in the family. And it, it shakes things up. For that only child who suddenly has a younger sibling, they have some getting used to. Okay, a lot of times you see sort of comical stuff about how the oldest sibling's like, I don't know if I want a younger sibling, honestly. You know, um, there's that idea. For the baby that just became a middle child, like I said, the fight for attention is on. It shakes up their customs. It shakes up the habits. You may not get to see mom when you used to. She may not always be available because she might be with the baby. It changes those things. See, as believers, I feel like we like being the baby of the family. In the church, we like having a little more freedom. We like having um, people feed us, people carry us around. We like having those opportunities, those people to take care of us. 
And the idea that we're going to look at today is that um, we are all middle children in the faith. Because the middle child fulfills a unique role in the family of being the little brother or little sister and the big brother and big sister at the same time. There's kind of a, a role, a gap there in the middle. So when we talk about older siblings... And we get through reading Hebrews chapter 1. Um, Jesus is a big brother we can trust. He's superior to all things. He's the exact expression um, of God's character. He's the radiance of his glory. And like I said, if he's the oldest brother, I am, in a sense, a middle child. Because he's the firstborn. He's God's oldest son. When I come to faith in Jesus, I become a son in God's family. And now I have younger siblings, too. That's the picture here. He fulfills this role of mediator between God and man. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to get a little better picture of what Jesus' role is, who he was, and what he did for us. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this man, Jesus, stands between sinful man and holy God. He stands between them. He knocks down the wall between the two. We know that there's this chasm between holy God and sinful man, a gap that we can't cross ourselves. And so Jesus' role, the gospel, is that he came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, facing the same temptations we do, and then was the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins, came back from the dead, defeated the grave, and now he's at God's right hand. You see, Jesus meets this need as a mediator between God and man. And this is where it gets kind of wild, and mind-blowing for me, but also exciting, because I think sometimes in the faith, we stop there, and we know who Jesus is, and maybe we hear it over and over again, so we get um, kind of those tired years, okay, I've heard about this Jesus thing, but Jesus invites us to do something similar that he did, not to be salvation for the world, we know that won't happen, but he invites the church to come and do something similar. Um, you see, we're commanded to continue Jesus' ministry, of connecting fallen man to their holy creator. Through the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't fall squarely on me. If it did, it wouldn't happen. No, but Jesus shows us, um, he's the big brother in the faith, he shows us an example, he's the mediator, and then he invites the church, and he says, look, I've already mediated for sins, but now I need you guys to mediate with the world in my absence. I need you to be um, that middle child, I need you to be that younger brother who's willing to learn from the older, but still cares about the younger ones too. See, as Jesus opens the door for a relationship with God, us as his followers are to reflect, embody, and share this with the world around us. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the Savior. That's not my job. Don't put that pressure on yourself. Don't put that expectation on the, on the church. You're robbing Jesus of his glory when you do that. And you're setting yourself up for disappointment in, in common man or the church. But through his Holy Spirit, something special happens in the body of believers. I have a big brother to look up to and follow. 
and I also have younger siblings to lead, to guide, and to care for. I think Paul and Timothy's relationship is a perfect example of this. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Paul writes and he says um, to Timothy, The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who can teach others also. When I first heard that verse in college, I may have heard it before then, but college was the first time I really had the ears to hear it. Um, I realized the succession of what Jesus was doing. It wasn't just a come to the front row of the church and get saved and then call it good, Um, but there's a lineage that happens. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, um, I have been invested in, I have been taught, people have shared their experience and their wisdom in God's word with me. And then I taught you, and the goal is for it to keep going. See, um, Paul's poured out his wisdom and his love for this younger siblings, and now he instructs Timothy to do the same. Don't stop, Pilate. It's not just for you. It's for the saints. You're a conduit. You're a bridge builder um, between those who don't know about Jesus yet. Or maybe they don't know about following Jesus the way you do yet. Like I said, in faith, we are all that middle child. You're the younger brother or sister and the older brother or sister all at once. And so for the church to thrive, we need babies in the faith to mature and get to a point where they're not the babies in the faith anymore. Because God's family is always growing. I was the baby in my family. I didn't get that experience when, when mom and dad brought a new baby home. But in the faith, we, we don't have that luxury And so if we are um, the babies of the church expecting to continue to be uh, cared for and fed and um, carried around, it's not going to happen. There's three qualities of an influential older sibling or an influential spiritual mentor I wanted to share with you guys. And these are things I thought of. There's probably more you can identify too. But I thought of my life with my older siblings and my spiritual mentors. And there's three things uh, that they really did for me that helped me grow. First thing is um, they calm fears by going first. Whenever um, you're growing up, it's often the older sibling that uh, drives first or takes that class in high school first or goes through the college thing first or enters the workforce. Maybe they get married, maybe they have kids first. And so for me, as the baby of the family, I took a lot of comfort in knowing that I had siblings I could watch go through those steps. You know, when it's Jesus that we're watching, we know we can trust what he did and what he did was right. When it's my older siblings, it requires a little more discernment because sometimes um, maybe choices they made weren't the best. Maybe you think um, you're not in a spot to be a spiritual leader or to disciple or lead somebody because you've made choices that you regret. Jesus took care of that on the cross. It's still beneficial for your younger siblings to see because you can say, hey, I've been there before, and that wasn't the best move. I made that choice, and this is where it got me. So the oldest sibling, they calm fears by going first. And as they go, they model and display the appropriate behaviors. Hopefully. <laughs> like I said, I have five older siblings. I got to see how different ones handled relationships with mom and dad through high school. How different ones went about work. How different ones went about school or these things. And so um, 
We see them go first, so we don't have to be the first one to step out as a younger sibling. That took away some of my anxiety about things. And then I got to see how they handled it, and so I could kind of take mental notes. When in that spot, that was a good choice. Or when in that spot, that wasn't a good choice. You know, it adds um, wisdom to it. Third thing is they encourage, they push, they spur on, they lead, they counsel, and they guide. Talked about earlier, as you grow in wisdom and depth with your walk with the Lord, there are people around you who need what the Lord's showing you. They may not be able to verbalize it. They may not be able to say it. But there's a good chance they've identified it. I was taught um, in college to, to get plugged in somewhere and engage and then identify people who um, identify men of character who knew God's word, who cared about it, who loved the Lord. Um, and if you want to learn, if you want to deepen your prayer life, spend some time with someone who has a deep prayer life. But as the older sibling, guess what? The younger sibling is not always going to ask for that advice. And so sometimes we think if they don't ask, I probably shouldn't um, give it to them. I don't want to come across it as, as pushy or whatever. But the truth is they may not know what they need yet. When I was a senior in high school, I thought I had my college plans figured out. I had a, a job at Chick-fil-A that I liked because I got to make money, but I still lived at home. I didn't have to pay for anything. Mom and Dad took care of that. And some of my friends were going out to school. Some of them were staying around. I really, the whole thing just kind of terrified me, but I didn't tell people that. And so my plan was um, to go to the community college. Not because it was more affordable. Not because I had plans in a direction. It's because I was scared of going off to school somewhere. But you know, uh, as you're a senior, we've got a few of them coming up over there. Um, people ask you over and over and over again, what are your plans? Where are you going? So I had rehearsed in my mind, I'm going to stay home and save money, okay, and go get some basics out of the way at Colin College. That sounded like a good answer. You know, I thought that, that should uh, push people to the side if they were asking me. That way I don't have to really get to the core of the issue, which is I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with my life. And two, if I do, I'm terrified of it and I don't want to do it, okay? And so that was my answer. And it worked for a few people. Until one day, my older brother, Chris, calls me. He's the one on the left there. Until uh, Chris calls me. He's six years older than me. And uh, there's not many conversations I remember in full detail, or not very many like, conversations you remember exactly where you were. Uh, but I know I was in my bed. I was laying on my bed in my bedroom. My brother called me one evening. And that's where I had this conversation with him. And so he asked, he says, Jeff, what are you doing next year? It's, a, it's about that time. And so... There's the cue. I said, well, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to save money. I'm going to get some basics out of the way at Colin College. And I was waiting for him to be like, oh, man, that's really respectable. And I think his exact word was, come on, man, that's stupid. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's my, that's my life's plan right now. Um, but Chris knows me. He has spent enough time with me. He knew that I wasn't doing that uh, to be smart or to be fiscally conservative or to be um, a wise. He knew I was doing it because I was hiding from a scary decision. He knew I was doing it because I was hiding from something I didn't want to face. And so a little more background is I'm really fortunate to have a great uncle. I mean, he's a good guy, but also a great uncle, okay, who had put some money into a trust to help us pay for school. And so that kind of changes the lens because uh, I totally get, I mean, college is, 
ridiculously expensive and stuff. And so I get that lens of like a community college helping you save money. But for us, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And so my brother called me out on that. And he said, do you realize how many people there are that would love to have the chance to go off to school somewhere and someone else pay for it? And you're not even considering it? Man, I did not like that conversation. It was uncomfortable. And I was mad at my brother because I was like, that's rude, it's pushy. I'm happy. I thought I was doing good things here. Um, but I needed that challenge. So thanks to his, uh, we'll call it encouragement, okay? Thanks to him getting after me a little bit. I had the motivation to actually start applying to some schools and trying to figure out what to do because I had the opportunity to go. And it wasn't a case of me uh, being wise. It was a case of me squandering something that he saw benefited him a lot and he wanted the same for me. And because of him, I wound up at Tarleton and met a whole bunch of people that have helped shape my life since then. My brother didn't know what he was, he didn't know the long, the big picture there. He didn't know long term who I would meet. I mean, if you connect the dots, that's how I wound up at Memorial, is that decision to go to Tarleton State, if you connect them back far enough. He didn't know that. But what he knew was that he had a younger sibling who was living in fear and needed someone to encourage and challenge them out of it. You see, as disciples, we have an obligation to the younger believers, the younger siblings in the faith. I can't store up my wisdom just for myself. No, because what the Lord gives me, if it is a financial gift, if it is a life experience that teaches me wisdom, if it is a sweet moment with the Lord or something in Scripture, he's given it to me to benefit me, but also to edify the saints, to build up the church. And so when I keep it to myself, I miss out on the blessing of raising up um, a younger generation who has that experience too. Like I said, they don't always know. I don't always know what I'm missing. But a lot of y'all that have already been through your 20s know uh, what I'm facing. You know what things look like 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years from now and can give me that perspective that I can't have on my own. As we minister, as we invest in students, man, it's, it's dominating. Your middle school and your high school career, they define you for those seven years until they don't. And so they need that perspective. They need that, that wisdom from us saying, look, not that right now isn't important, not that what you're dealing with doesn't hurt. It's the most challenging thing you face to that point. And I want to be aware of that. But at the same time, I want to be able to give them that perspective that says, uh, there is more to this. You can't see it quite yet. But I'm telling you what I've seen and where I've been. So in the same way that we have an obligation to the younger siblings, I have a need for older siblings in my life. I have a need for people who will invest in me. Like I said, there are many people in this church who have been through what I've been through, who have seen what I'm now seeing, and they can give that perspective. We're middle children in the faith. It means we have older siblings to look up to and learn from, and younger siblings who need my friendship, my prayers, my heart, and my care. You know, the truth is that love, care, and even correction are craved by a lot of young people. And it doesn't seem like it on the surface because initially you get pushed back. 
And maybe you tried to correct a teenager's behavior and they didn't receive it well. And you think, man, it's this generation. But the truth is they crave that. Sometimes without the relationship, though, they don't understand what's going on. I had a guy tell me when I was um, fresh out of school, we were getting ready to do an FCA rally. It was in Lubbock. It was a really big one with, I think there was like 10,000 students from like the area that came. It was a football field covered up with students. And so when the church was recruiting um, sponsors, adults pretty much, that would go and pray with students who needed prayer, a lot of times, if it's middle school and high schoolers, they think, okay, it needs to be the, the young, the hip ones, the ones who kind of know how they dress still or have things in common with them. And um, peers or slightly older people can be very effective in youth ministry. But the truth of it is, and this is what that guy shared with me, is that more often than not, what he saw was when that, when that kid had a moment with the Lord and they turned around to the back of the, the stadium and they were walking out trying to find somebody to pray with, more often than not, um, they seek someone with gray hair, someone who had the maturity, who had the wisdom, who had the ability um, to love them through it. One of his theories was that um, a lot of people these days don't have quality relationships with grandparents. The way families get, get broken by things, maybe they don't have that. But my thought is, it doesn't matter where you're at. In life or in the faith, there are people who need something from you. Maybe they just need advice. Maybe they don't want advice and they just need a hug. They need someone um, who they can rely on. And so don't be discouraged when you try for a second to invest in somebody and there's pushback. Don't be discouraged by that because we know that influence is built with consistency and trust over time. Rarely does it happen at once. When I started here at Memorial, I had these grand ideas of what our youth ministry was going to look like in three months and then in six months. And then that fall, I'm taking two of them to Sonic on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, am I doing this thing right? But it takes consistency over time to build trust. That was with the title. If someone slaps a title on you, then usually there's a couple that'll be like, oh, that's our, that's our guy. But it has to be earned with other people. And we do that by loving them. We do that by serving them. We do that by being um, a faithful older sibling in the faith. My brother Chris, and a, I mean, I thought of a handful of different stories where something very similar had happened, where I was afraid to do something, and he called me out on it, and begrudgingly I did it, and it ended up being a really smart. It bettered me. But Chris has that relationship with me. There are other people who, if they were that firm with me, I probably wouldn't have received it the same way. And so know your people. Don't be afraid to invest in them and realize that um, people want to be spoken into. They want to be encouraged. But they want to be loved first. They want to be known. They want to know that you care about them beyond their behavior. So what does this mean for us? It means that Jesus loves the fact that he's not an only child. He didn't, he didn't ever want to be the only child. He wants his family to be full. He loves the fact um, that every day we wake up, there's new little ones brought into the fold. That's why he left the church, the primary tool of discipleship, um, to grow and mature, because it's one thing to have a baby. 
It's another thing um, to raise them into caring, responsible people. I don't have any kids. I'm never going to carry a child. I know there's a nine-month battle there for the ladies, and that's a big step right there. But after that, guess what? The work keeps coming, doesn't it? It's a repetitive thing. And you think, you think I taught this lesson yesterday, so let's check that one off. Nope. They're going to have to learn how to share again. They're going to have to learn not to hit mom. <laughs> I think about my nieces, and I see stuff, and they're learning and they're growing so much, but there's some stuff that's just so ingrained. And spiritually, uh, new believers are kind of the same way. Maybe their background shaped them this way. Maybe they um, struggle with the sin. You know, like, hey, it says right here, don't do that. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, like, cool. They're not going to sin anymore. And then tomorrow they do the same thing and we get frustrated. Uh, but they are babies in the faith. They need that repetition. They need that care over time. We're going to wrap up here in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. And the reason I wanted to finish here is because I think it shows a really clear example of Jesus' heart for the family of God. His heart for the people that you and I interact with daily in the church and outside of the church. It's his heart for the world. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Man, if you are struggling, if you are feeling unworthy this week, if you're feeling like these other people have it together, and that's why uh, they're getting blessed, or you don't deserve that from the Lord, this right here says otherwise. It says that the one who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified all have the same Father. We have the same Father that Jesus does, and he's not jealous of that. That doesn't bother him. No, he's ecstatic about it. His desire is for his family to grow. The Greek word um, in this phrase that describes Jesus is the word archegos, and it means um, someone who is a leader, a pioneer, a pathfinder, and a company of followers. The thought behind this word is that um, it's someone who begins something so that others may enter into it. Think about that as who Jesus is and what he's done. He is someone who begins something so that others, us, <laughs> the other sons and daughters of God can enter into it. That was his goal. That was his plan. You see, Jesus started this thing with the hopes and that we would be willing and ready to incorporate others into the mix. Sometimes for that second-born kid, when the third one comes home, like we said, it shakes things up. It bothers them. The roles at home change. You know, it's kind of nice being the baby sometimes. Now, my, my parents and my siblings tell me this. I don't know if it's true or not. I believe them. Uh, they said I took my first steps around nine or ten months. I hope that's normal. I don't know. Um, they took, and then I took like a six-month hiatus from walking. I knew how to do it, and I just wouldn't do it. 
And there's probably a couple different reasons for that. Uh, one, it might just be like my personality type. I'm pretty laid back. Uh, some call it lazy. The other two, um, no. The other one is I have five older siblings, and I have a mom and a dad. So anytime we went anywhere, there was seven sets of arms that were probably going to carry me. I mean, some of my earliest memories are trying to find a sibling to play with, and I would literally walk around the house and try Libby. Nope, okay. Laurie, she's busy. Chris, all right, cool, we found one. And so that's probably how I was when I was little. If we were going somewhere, you know, instead of walking, you just put your, you just put your arms up and hope someone carries you. Spiritually, in the church, and that's not a growing, that's not a fruitful place to be. It is okay to be the baby in the family for that time. We all were at one point. Some of us still are. That's not a, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not an incorrect place to be. I probably wouldn't share that story, though, if I was eight and still not walking, okay? It's a little less desirable on a grown kid, okay? Jesus started this with the hopes and that we would incorporate others to the fold, and that we would disciple and invest and pour into them. If I'm staying put where I am as the baby of the family, I'm expecting you guys to teach, to pour into me. You guys to contribute to my need. You guys to pray for me. Um, That's not wrong. It's just incomplete. That's half the battle. I'm thankful to have a church here um, that I know does pray for me. People that, that care for one another. People who are willing to meet needs. I had a conversation with somebody this week and we were talking about how special it is that um, even, even when you have like close relationship with family, that when you don't live near them, we have a church where people can fill in that role. I have um, spiritual fathers here at Memorial that I'm thankful for, and fun uncles, and all the family that I, that I feel like I miss because they're not here, um, his church provides that. And Jesus isn't ashamed of his brothers and sisters. That's a powerful thought this week. Um, The band can come back up as we close. You know, uh, I talk about my relationship with my family, and I realize maybe not everyone has that. Maybe uh, you you don't know mom or dad. Or maybe you do, and it doesn't matter. There's not a relationship anyway. Maybe um, things are strained with your biological family. Maybe there's emotional wounds. Maybe there's a lack of support, a lack of interest. Maybe there's not really a relationship at all. You see, we have a heavenly father, the same father as Jesus, and he cares for each of us deeply. Deeply. We have an older brother in Christ who isn't jealous or distraught because we're needy, or because uh, we require help sometimes. Um, no, he's ecstatic that more and more are being brought home each day. I mean, he started this thing, Archegos. He created it so that others may enter. Jesus isn't ashamed of his brothers and sisters. And so for us in the faith, it means um, we don't get to be either. Now, we have an obligation to the ones younger than us in the faith. And we have an obligation to the ones older than us to yield, to submit, to seek things from them. Because if you're in the family of God, you have a place and you have a role. If you're here today, 
you have a place and you have a role. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and just for, Jesus, the way you share your heart with us. And Jesus, that whenever you share your heart with us, that we know that's the heart of God that we see. Because you're the perfect expression of his nature. You're the radiance of his glory. And Father, I ask as we, as we close today that Holy Spirit, you would be active and you would, um, you would prod, you would be that older sibling that, that helps us make a tough choice to make a decision to, um, to respond in a way that's pleasing to you, Jesus. I pray that you'd bless the rest of this time we have together in worship and Lord, that it would be honoring to you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.